Happy New Year, coaches, and welcome back to the ITA College Tennis Coaches podcast. We have lots of exciting guests uh, throughout the remainder of season three. Today, my guest is Samadi Drucker, who's been the head men's tennis coach at Queens College in New York since 2015. She's already claimed three East Coast Conference Coach of the Year honors by winning conference titles and taking her team to the Sweet 16 of the NCAA Division II championships on several occasions. In this podcast, we discuss why Samadhi is an outlier in the world of college tennis and college sports in general, her advice to other women coaches interested in coaching on the men's side, and how she stays involved and committed to many facets of the tennis industry. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Samadhi Drucker. Samadhi Drucker, welcome to the ITA College Tennis Coaches Podcast. David, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, your uniqueness within the the college tennis world. Um, So a few statistics I'm going to throw at you. So only 21% of college tennis coaches across all five divisions are women. At the D2 level, there are approximately 40 coaches coaching both men and women's team as a head coach. But from our records, which may not be 100% accurate, we're talking about ITA members here. There's there's certain coaches who aren't members, but based on our records, you're the only female head coach of a men's team uh, at Division Two. So even if my statistics are slightly off, you're still in a tiny minority. So why do you believe Queens College were willing to break the mold and hire a woman to lead their men's team? Sure, David, um, people ask me this so many times. Um, the AD that's not there anymore actually hired me and she was a woman. I never had the opportunity to really sit with her and ask her. And I, I actually emailed her the other day because we we're still corresponding. She's uh, actually the vice president of the Bronco, Denver Broncos now. Um, yeah, so she went up the chain. Um, I think the main thing was the first time the position opened up, I went to her and I'm like, I was the assistant coach of the women's. I went to her and I'm uh, Miss Jude. I'm willing to step up. I think I'm ready. I don't mind it's the men's team because the women's team coach is never going to retire. He's been there like 50 years. And I think I'm ready to step into a leading role. And she said, she doesn't think so. You're not ready. You don't know people. Um, you need to grow more. And that was the best word she ever could tell me because I walked out of her office so determined that she's right. I don't know a lot of people. I need to go meet some people. I need to um, get to learn the game more. I need to get more involved in um, extracurriculum activities, get involved in the teams, uh, different teams, different coaches, talk to them, learn from them. And literally a year later, they got another coach didn't work again. And I was in a position where she called me and mm. said, okay, you didn't put your tail in between your legs. You went out, you became a better coach. Um, I think you're ready now. Are you ready to step up? And um, it wasn't easy. I mean, I was hired or I took the position in end of October, right before ITAs. I had three players eligible, one on scholarship, because the coach was just doing nothing over the break. Mm-hmm. Um, and she literally held my hand, not, not that much as I wanted to, but I could have had, got a little bit more help. But I literally had two months to recruit seven players. Um, and I basically made my own team. So like I said, it was, I think, just because she said no to me first mm. and helped me grow into this determination of proving her wrong, maybe. 
-hmm. and then in the next year we did good and she hired me as a coach so um i'm always thankful for her that she yeah. believed in me i didn't in the beginning but clearly she saw something and had to kick me down first and then kind of say okay you're ready now so yeah. and i've been there ever since oh, that's a cool story but yeah you say you didn't believe in yourself necessarily at the beginning but you did go and request and, and ask that you take on that role so you had you had some belief there that you were capable of, of doing the job that, that was required. And, and I have no idea what the statistics are in terms of women applying for head coaching roles. I don't know if it's, you know, 1%, 10%, 5%. I, I would assume it's, it's, it's somewhat low, but, you know, maybe I'm wrong to assume that. But would you encourage women coaches to apply for men's coaching positions in the future? And, and if so, why? I think you should apply for anything you feel that not even necessary that you're capable of doing, but something that you want to go out and get a be a better person or not even being a better person, but you take this position and help other people become better. Um, I think my first intent of going to her and tell her, oh, I'm ready, wasn't really that I didn't believe in myself. I was so passionate about the program and the team and I saw that they were in trouble. And I was like, if, if I cannot take my passion and, and determination to give back to this program, what's gonna be enough? And I think at that moment, that's all they want. So you should just go out and if you see a job, you shouldn't even look men's or women's. I think if you're, if you're passionate about whatever you do, you can go out and go and get it. Um, I grew up in a, in a, in a small town. I was only the, I was usually the only girl playing tennis. Um, I was around guys all the time and we always had to just do, you know, so there was never male, female, and mm -hmm. it's very independent. Just go out and do whatever you know you can do. And you'll never know unless you try, you know, um, people ask me how it is to coach a male's team. I don't even see them as a difference anymore. I'm just a coach and they're players. And, and I don't know the statistics because you're the, the statistics guy, but um, I, I believe there's all my guys were probably coached more by women coaches in the beginning of their college career. I mean, in their junior career mm. than a man. So I think it's just a stigma that just go out and break it. I don't think if you want a job, you're passionate about that program and you can relate to that program, go out, try and apply. The only the worst thing can say, they can say no. And then it's just, I mean, like uh, they always say, it's it's not about um, the deny, it's something that you get denied now, it's not something that's delayed in the, in the future. You know, just just go and, and do it. Like you'll yeah. never know. No, I love that, great, great advice, Samadhi. And, and I know for me, I mean, I started as a head coach at age 24 uh, for a men's team at, at the time. and. Um, obviously I was very nervous. I was still young, didn't necessarily know what I was getting into, but I was able to drive a lot of confidence because I was a decent player and I could beat everybody on the team pretty badly. So at least I was able to kind of hang my hat on that a little bit, but what were maybe some of your concerns early on taking over the men's program? And then how did you uh, build up that confidence over time to, to really, like you said, to the point, and we'll get into the success you've had, um, but, but tell us about some of those early days, early weeks, early months on the job and, and how you became more comfortable. I think it all started, um, 
my philosophy was a little bit different in the beginning. It was more, I have a brand new team. They are international. Um, I don't know if everybody knows, but my team is 95% international. Mm -hmm. So I like the internationals. They're willing to work. They're willing, they have a lot more to lose. They're here to play tennis, get an education. And then, I mean, sometimes have some fun. So I think the most important that you have to come over is you have to understand and make them understand that we have the same goal here. I may be the person running the show and this may be my show, but you're part of a family now and we are, uh, we have a common goal and that's what we wanna gain. And I think after you establish that philosophy with the team, it's, it doesn't really matter if you're male or female mm -hmm. um, because you can, you can have people from all over the world. I pr proved that you can have people all over the world come together and have the same goal and be successful. Um, when you were saying about playing, um, I can hit a ball. I mean, I'm, I'm okay. I was okay. I'm getting a little older, so I'm using that as an excuse. But I mean, um, I never used that as a, a um, strength of mine, but I used my organization, my my uh, toughness of my practice, my um, organization of my practice, the, the game plan of the practice, like really communicating that with the guys and explaining to them, this is what we're gonna work, work with to achieve this. This is what we're gonna do this week to achieve that. And I think if you have that communication and they understand you, um, as a female, I probably have to say it a few more times because there's that language barrier between male and female, but not anymore, I'm figuring it out. But um, as soon as you have that and you just communicate and make sure they know what your goal is and they meet your goal, then you don't need to prove them anything to them. Because we get there, we practice, we know what we want to do, we have a common goal and that's it, so. Very good. So yeah, you have had a, a huge amount of success winning the ECC conference title four times. Your team's also registered the highest GPA within your athletic department recently. So. Why do you believe you've been able to relate so well to the men and how have you helped push them through any biases or stereotypes they were holding on to around having a, a woman head coach? Um, that's a good question, David. I actually, I've never really sat down and asked the guys if they had all these biases. Um, I don't feel like there's any biases because they respect me just as much as other coaches. Uh, I see sometimes other coaches come in with their players and they have less respect to, or their players respect them way less than my players respect me. So I think it's just about, like I said before, we have a common goal. Everybody believe in that goal and we communicate and work towards something. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's very hard to get to that level, but if you just strive and, and keep your family united, meaning the team, everything, sh it should be fine. Like there's no, the, I always tell this story that sometimes I'm a little bit embarrassed. Like we'll go to Florida and do a spring break trip. We'll get to a club and I go, all right, where's Queens College courts? And then they'll tell me, oh no, the women are not playing here today. So the guys are behind me and I'm like, uh, I am the men's coach and the men are playing mm -hmm. strong here today or whoever. And uh, I think that was the, the worst thing. But the best is, I think my guys always stand up for me. There was a few, few, few incidents where uh, some players are a little bit disrespectful from the other team towards me, and my guys always had my back. I mean, I don't know if it's because I'm a female or 
like I always said, we're a family, but I don't think they see any bias in, 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 in having a female coach. I even have some transfers that actually prefer that they say this is actually better. We, we like a female coach better. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it's just how you manage it. You just have to manage it right. Yeah. Well, I hope some athletic directors are, are listening to this and, <laughs> and uh, will open up their, their minds further. And I, I hope it encourages women to apply for, for men's coaching roles as well and, and not let the, I guess, the stereotypes or the traditions that are out there hold, hold them back. And um, yeah, obviously thrilled to hear uh, about, you know, your, your guys' team having your back, but also disappointed to hear that other uh, teams and players are, are maybe um, pointing that out and, and uh, trying to get in your head or, or their players' heads about it. That's very disappointing to hear. And I, I hope that that's stumped out here in the years to come. But you did say I'm the statistics guy, so I'm going to go back to a few more statistics here. So approximately, say, 50% of tennis student-athlete population across all five divisions is made up of international players. You just talked about, you know, 90, 95% of your team is international, and that's quite common, uh, especially in Division One, Division II. Um, but only 5% of our head coaches are international. And so obviously there's many reasons for that. Like you said, some people come for the experience, want to get their education and, and play tennis, but then go home. But there's also a, a large population that do want to stay and, and look for opportunities within the U.S. like yourself and myself have done. So how have you navigated the various visa requirements and how would you encourage coaches maybe currently on OPT or doing their master's program as, as a GA who want to stay in America and who want to pursue a career in college coaching to start building their resume so that they have a strong case when maybe they're looking for a H-1B visa or an O visa or getting an athletic director to believe in them and be willing to go that extra mile to sponsor their visa and the, I guess, associated potential hassle with that. Yeah, um, it's been a long journey. It's um, from F1 to H1, now O1. It's, uh, and I still don't have my green card by the way, but it's, um, it's just a green card. I mean, I'm doing what I love. I'm passionate about tennis and, and it's, it's fun seeing these guys growing into potential leaders and, and just doing what they love and giving them the opportunity to come to America. Um, what I would say is you have to be willing to start from the bottom. Um, what I see with my guys now, um, they, they tend to, I mean, all of them work and do their OPT during the summer. So they go to these fancy Hampton clubs. They're very picky, you know, um, they're very picky. No, they want to work this one is too much. This one is too that. This one is too that. I think if you're really passionate, you need to be willing to start from the bottom. It's not going to be easy. You have to be willing to put in a lot of hours of work. You have to be willing to get, put yourself out there. You have to be willing to teach anybody and anyone who wants to learn how to play tennis. You can't only teach the best players because it's little Susie or Billy's mom that's going to see the potential or dad that's going to see the potential and that's going to open that door for you to maybe become an assistant coach. And you may have to be assistant coach for four, five, six years. And you may have to go find another degree that you're going to have to study. I mean, I have like, I feel I've been in school for 10 years. My AD that I spoke about before, she always made fun of me. Can you already finish and graduate? And I was like, well, whatever I have to do to stay and do what I love, you know, it's, 
Mm -hmm. um, and I think in the long run, it just helped me. I mean, I learn new things, I meet new people, and and you just have to be ready to hustle, hustle. I mean, uh, every 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 hard opportunity, I think I learned the most. Like any every time something knocks me down. I learned the most. And so don't be scared. Don't be scared to go out there. Like we said before, if even male, female, male, go out there and do what you want to do. Uh, but I'm not going to lie, it's not easy. It's not easy. And sometimes, like they say, it's not what you know, it is who you know. So um, like you said, most of them do get their degree and do go home. I have a few guys that are here. They're not in tennis, but they're investment bankers, they enjoying, some are doing tennis, um, but they still don't really know what they want to do. Mm. So as soon as you know, you need to start building. It doesn't matter if it's at a D3 in the middle of nowhere, you have to build a resume because at the end, that's what they look at. Yeah. You have to start building, get stuff on paper because even when you do apply for those visas, everything has to be on paper. Mm -hmm. um, and and enjoy your success. Like if you have success, go and share it with everybody. Don't, don't be shy and, and get out there and enjoy, you know, but in the nutshell, it's not easy. You have to be willing and really passionate. And that's, what's going to leave you at the end. You know, if you're passionate, like you were passionate, um, you're going to do what you love and you're going to do whatever you can. There's always a way. There's always a way may not be the easiest, but there's a way. Journey may be long, it may be short, but there is a way to, if you're passionate, to stay in America. Mm -hmm. well, I, took, <laughs> I took the easy way, Samadhi, and, and married an American, so I, I, oh. I, I can't uh, speak I work to that. too much. <laughs> What's that? I threw myself into work. Yeah, don't work so much. That's another <laughs> thing. If they can give you any advice, go work, work your butt off if you have to, but do have a social life <laughs> don't yeah. throw yourself into work that's not worth it but yeah yeah well yeah and part of building that resume is is volunteering your time like you said some people get very picky and i want to work here and not there because of this that and the other but we forget about all the volunteering opportunities i always encourage young coaches to find ways to to volunteer whether it's you know, on a committee, whether it's at a local club, an NJTL, whatever it is, I mean, you, with that resume, you're also building those references and you want those references to be able to, to say nice things about you. Hopefully you genuinely want to do it. I'm not saying just go out, do it for the sake of it, but look for those opportunities that you're interested in. So you've volunteered a huge amount of your time, you know, on committees for, for college tennis, you know, within your local community, even back home in, in South Africa. So why has that been a important for you? Um, giving back to the community, I think is very important, not just as a reference builder, like you said, I mean, it's very important, but they see if you're coming there with a passion, they'll see that this is the kind of person they want. They also see the people that are just doing it for the floor, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I do it with my team quite a bit because I do see it as a team builder. Um, I do like to sometimes the tennis players, especially the young college players, they do a little well. They, they think they're walking on clouds. They need to just come back to earth, uh, find their feet, give back to the community and see, hey, this is where I came from. Poor Susie can't even hit the ball. Let me go have seat. Let me help her, you know. And because they are international, I feel like they really need to, and me too, uh, appreciate the opportunity we were given to be in this country. 
So giving back, especially we do the fundraiser at their favorite fundraiser is the USDA Foundation. Um, that's that's almost not even a, a community service. That's like outing out for the guys. Where we work at the foundation, you have all these ex-famous players uh, playing. They're roaming the court, running around, and then they get to play, stay at the U.S. Open for the rest of the day. But just that activity of giving their time, believe it or not, it's even hard to get them to do that. Just taking a day away from their life and mm -hmm. just doing something for the community. And like I said before, those little community service events, it's, it's so much more than just um, a service. It, it's a team building. You, you kind of see the leaders of your team. Um, you see who's really passionate about giving back and, and all these trickle down to their game. So when you do have that person that's willing to go the extra mile and you're third set in the, in the, in the third set tiebreaker and it's five all you know, no, he's got it. I don't have to worry. He has the heart. He's going to do it for the team. So it also gets to get you as a coach to learn your, who your players are and who, what you can expect from your players. And then it also gives you as a coach an opportunity to, to show the players that it's okay, give back. We're not that good. I mean, we're not gods, we're, we're just athletes. We're here to have a good education and, and let's go out and, and help people that is not as fortunate. Mm -hmm. um, we do this midnight run um, at Queens where we go to the city and give them sandwiches and milk to the homeland, homelands, uh, oh, sorry. Uh, homeless and uh, they tend to love that the most it's so forgiving like there's the, the the twinkle in their eyes it's like you see this number one player that hasn't lost a match in his life and he's so competitive and he thinks he's so good and then you see him as this handing over a paper bag with sandwiches you, you see the true colors in them and then you're like oh okay this is my number one okay He's got compassion. So it just makes them grow as humans. And for me as well. I mean, I love giving back um, just in the fact that America gave me so much mm -hmm. and South Africa gave me so much wherever I can help to make this road much easier for them than it was for me. I mean, I mean, make some time, free up some time. And it's, it's worth so much more at the end than those three, four hours of your life. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I haven't really heard it framed in that way before in terms of how it exposes the character of, of your team and, and just yet another reason uh, to do that, that community service and get your teams out in the community to, uh, yeah, reveals a lot and you see how they interact with people and you learn a lot about them and maybe see a side to them that you did not see before and also help in terms of uh, mentoring them and maybe a future direction that they want to go in their life uh, when you see, see those other sides of them. So, so Matt, are you going to move into some rapid fire questions? What is the best piece of advice you've ever received from anyone in your life? It doesn't have to be tennis related. Oh, has to be my mom. She always said, honey, if you want to do something, you do it yourself. So she's always like, you want to do it right? Just do it yourself. Okay. Yeah, it's distinct. I like it. Is there a book, podcast, article, passage, poem that's influenced you in your journey to date? Um, because I did so much school, I don't really like reading that much. That's <laughs> reading is for school. So I'm I'm a sucker for those uh, those inspiration movies, like the sport movies, like uh, mm. The Blind Side, The uh, We Are Marshall, uh, Coach Carter. Those those kind of movies I'm a sucker for. Yeah. 
yeah, any like, any sport movie with a little bit of a based on the truth it teaches me so much as a person and as a coach. Cool. Yeah, get you fired up. Um, mm -hmm. What is one new idea or change that you've made to your program in this season, or maybe heading into the spring season, and why? Oh, I actually I was thinking about this question a lot the last few days, um, but I. There's nothing specific. I mean, COVID gave us such a lot of uh, ups and downs the last few years. Um, I think what I'm gonna change in the spring is really value, value the time we have on the court. Um, right before COVID, we were like six and one. We were going into a very good season. The guys were pumped and I gave them a day off and then we came back and it was, it was just, I don't think we took, for granted every hour we spent together and every minute we were on court enjoying it um and then school closed so we kind of we have a beautiful indoor facility the facility closed we're split up as a team and everybody went home so i think from now on um i think i want to take every second every minute under accountable hours to spend with the team and make sure we are what we can be in the long run that's the biggest thing I want to change for the future. Cause you don't know one minute you're there and the next minute everybody's gone. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy to lose sight of that. Right. And go back to normal or mm -hmm. whatever we think is normal and take things for granted. So really cool to hear that you're going to not take that for granted and help your players. <laughs> yeah. So other than your mother's advice, is there a, is there a particular quote that has, has stuck with you through your coaching career that you remember often or repeat to your team? Um, it may not be the right wording. I can't really, because I did this paper on Pat Simmons in my sports psychology class a few years ago. And she used to say, um, more than winning for us as coaches is to uh, develop our players into the amazing leaders that they can be. It's not the exact words. I'm so bad in quoting, but that's basically the nutshell of the quote. It's we as coaches need to teach these players and for us ourselves that there's so much more than winning a match or winning a title or a national title. Don't believe me wrong. That's something I probably want to do one day, but just seeing these guys graduating with their 4.0s and becoming hedge fund bankers and, and working in wall street, it's so much more and seeing them become leaders. It's amazing. Mm. And is there one drill that you do regularly with your team that you believe, whether either they, you know, really enjoy it or you enjoy doing it with them or, you know, think has a big impact on their development as a player? Um, I like to, I don't have a specific drill, but I like to keep the intensity of my practice very um, high. Um, they like fast live point drills where we're feeding in, they're playing out the point. Um, and then just cooling down and have a fun game. I mean, they're grown men and they still want to play hot seat. I mean, that was the last game we played before we went home. You know, it's just serious practice, practice, high intensity, fast points. Um, we don't have that much time because they are academically very strong. They need to get back. Uh, the school helps them a lot with extra curriculum uh, activities with a study hall and making sure they, they keep up their grades. But I have my two hours a day with them and we have to get everything in there. So high intensity and then end with a little bit of fun just to let them relax, play some music during that time and then just send them off with a nice, relaxed, happy, 
aura with them you know that's that i think is the biggest thing very good and, and i believe samadhi you're you're ptr certified or uspta certified um like you said you you've done quite a bit of uh education as well but is there any one professional development opportunity you know you've had in your life that that again has stuck with you or helped how you operate as a as a head college tennis coach um the thing i did actually over the summer right now was uh, i don't know if you heard i am sure you know the ptw uh ptrw um it's the women in power so it's this new uh course that the ptr just started uh, what I liked with that was um, they didn't just focus, it's to empower women. I would recommend everybody to, to go on the PTR website and go look at it out, look, mm -hmm. at, look at it. Um, what I really liked about that seminar, it was very short. I mean, there's lots more to do, but um, was really developed me as a person, not just as a coach. You know, you always do this USPTA stuff and it's always on court and, and all the grips and the low to high and the one, two, three. It's always the same stuff over and over. But this program is more geared to you as a person, how to, to carry yourself as a person, like more off-court stuff. Mm. And then I also did the, the USPTA, the Tennis Professional Management course at Queens College last year over COVID. It was actually perfect. It was online. And the same thing, it teach you how to manage, how to manage yourself, anger, how to uh, all these things that we don't learn as coaches. You know, it's, it's very important to sometimes take care of yourself off court as well. Um, not physically, I mean, but mentally, like learn how to communicate with people, learn how to, to deal with stress, learn how to actually write a resume, learn, you know, all these things that a lot of coaches don't know because it's all, Oh, one drill, two drill, forehand, backhand, serve, you know, and those things we have, you know, you, you've been in the, in the world a long time in coaching, you know, how many USPTA certifications do we still need, you know, level one, two, three, four, but I mean, those kind of seminars, I really, I really like that, that was something different. Yeah, very good. No, that's cool to hear. Well, Samadhi, I know you have to run back on the court and, and have a few hours ahead of you, but thank you so much for Coming on the ITA College Tennis Coaches podcast, I want to wish you all the best in, in the new year. Thanks, David. And anybody can reach out to me if you have any questions. I'm always here to help, even if it's just a job in the summer. You know, <laughs> we always need people, uh, coaches out there. So women, let's go get it. Well, thank you for that kind offer. And thank you for being a trailblazer in Division Two tennis. So well no. done. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me.